And that is the perfect segue to open your Bibles to the fourth chapter of Romans. Our focus this morning, if you're visiting with us, first of all, we want to welcome you. We are delighted to have you with us. Uh, We study the Bible here verse by verse, which means we read it and we explain it. And we entrust the Holy Spirit to take His Word and conform His people to grow His people into the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Now this morning, our focus will be Romans 4, verses 9 through 12. Because it's been a couple weeks, I want to go ahead and begin reading in verse 1. So if you would, please stand. And we will read together Romans 4, verses 1 through 12. And I'll spend our time this morning expositing verses 9 through 12. And God's word reads, What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? We say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he already had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. And to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Let's pray. Holy Father, we do thank you for your word. We ask now that by the leading and the power of your Holy Spirit, you'll grant me the ability to communicate with clarity the truth that is before us this morning, how that applies to our lives as believers 2,000 years after it has been penned down. We thank you for your redemptive truth recorded in your word. Help us to understand and live for the glory of the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. For it's in His name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. What allows a person to stand before God without fear of condemnation? And then, 
walk with assurance that they are indeed free of all condemnation. I don't believe that there's a more significant or essential question that can be raised or responded to than how an individual is made right with God and then be assured of that reality. And the Apostle Paul is in the process of answering that question for us. That is with the Gospel. Right here in Romans chapter 3 and Romans chapter 4. Now in Romans 3, Paul hones in on justification. And he explains what he means by justification according to grace by faith. And then in chapter 4, he he defends his teaching from Scripture, that is, the Old Testament. And then he illustrates for us from the life of Abraham, a man who lived long before Christ came. And he even cites the writings of King David. Two heroes of the faith to any Jew in any day. Now, last time we were together, beloved, in verses 1 through 8, Paul focused in in detail on the truth of imputation. Okay, these words are important because these words have meaning and these words are in the Bible. Imputation. Namely, that God's mercy, in His mercy, He does not count against us our sins, but He does impute to us, that is, credit to our account, or reckon to us the very righteousness of Christ as we entrust ourselves to Him. So that is Christ's righteousness imputed to you by faith, placed upon your account. In verses 4 and 5, Abraham himself here is declared to be righteous, declared to be accepted by God by way of the gift of grace unmerited favor not because of anything that he had done not because of works he had accomplished not because of something that was done to his flesh but grace granting him faith to believe in one who would come and live a perfect life in his place in verses 6 through 8 Paul goes on to mention another Jewish hero David who also believes in the same truth. Quoting Psalm 32, verses 1 and 2, where David says, Blessed is the man against whom the Lord does not count sin. His sin is not counted against him. If you're in Christ here, your sin is not counted against you. Christ bore your sin in your place. And Paul says here that David understood that we are not justified, we are not viewed as righteous by God because of our own honorable merit. Or because of something good within us. Because, beloved, there is nothing good in us. Do you realize that? There is nothing good in me, nothing good in you, that will merit the salvific work and the goodness of God. All grace comes from outside of us is found in God and comes from God alone. And that is what regards a believer as being positionally pure, justifying us. That is to declare us free from all blame. That's grace. That's salvation. In spite of our sin. In spite of our failures. So we're reckoned as believers to be deemed as righteous because of what has been accomplished through the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. So both Abraham and David 
understood that truth long before Christ ever came to earth. So the truth of the matter is, beloved, the means of salvation has always been the same. Old Testament, New Testament, from the first man, Adam, to the last man, standing and believing by faith alone in Christ alone, the only difference being the vantage point of the one being saved. Abraham, David, they looked forward to the promised one who would actually accomplish the work that they themselves could not accomplish. That work, a perfect, holy, sinless life. That's the standard to get to heaven. We look back to the promised one, the Lord Jesus Christ, who has since accomplished that work that they were hoping for. A work that we cannot perform. The substance of faith, therefore, looking forward or backwards, is exactly the same. It's Jesus Christ, Him crucified, raised again from the dead, ascended back to the right hand of the Father, where He rules and reigns forever. It's the only way that anyone's ever been saved. Now, that truth, beloved, is not only important for salvation, but that truth is central to our assurance Central. Many Christians struggle with assurance for a variety of reasons. Some struggle because of personality reasons. Perhaps they have grown up as being man-pleasers. They always wanted to please perhaps their father or their mother. They always wanted validation, but they never received it. So now they picture God as, as, as someone who has to validate what they do. So they always lack assurance. For others, it's theological reasons. They're either not taught right, or they don't hear right. Because you can preach justification by faith alone in Christ alone until you turn red in the face, like me. And some people just don't get it. That's why we keep preaching it, amen? So both groups struggle with feeling the certainty of God's love for them and His acceptance of them in Christ alone. You get it? So understanding justification, beloved, is not only essential for salvation, but is also important for discipleship, maturity, and assurance. Now, when this glorious truth is not properly understood and embraced the unassured oftentimes attempt to gain assurance by what they do. Or by embracing, here it is, ritualistic signs, symbols, and practices. That's exactly what was going on in the church of the first century. In the first century, there were Jews who objected to the teaching of the Apostle Paul who declared justification by faith alone in Christ alone. Who were attempting to embrace rituals as a means of assurance for salvation. So Paul, in his Romans diatribe here, anticipates yet another argument brought into the equation of justification by grace through faith alone in Christ. You see, the Jews believe that you must believe God, yes, but also have to be circumcised in order to be saved. 
If a Gentile came to faith, the rite of passage was the covenant sign of circumcision. Plus belief, plus faith. Now, since Paul has used Abraham as being justified by faith alone, they would naturally respond, well, hey, 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 wasn't Abraham our father of the faith given the right of circumcision to be properly followed to this very day? That's the question. So Paul's first point, which was fundamental for any Jew to realize in this day, is, okay, when was it that Abraham was actually saved? See, to the Jew, if he was circumcised after, or I should say, if he was circumcised and then believed, they would have a case. Saying, see, he was circumcised first and then he believed. Therefore, circumcision must have some kind of saving merit. Everyone then, Gentiles included, must be circumcised and believe if they're going to be saved. But if Abraham was saved, that is justified, uh, i.e. declared free from all blame, declared actually righteous before he was circumcised, then it's obvious circumcision is not needed for salvation. It has no merit in and of itself whatsoever. In verse 3, notice, Paul quotes Genesis 15.6. We looked at that a couple weeks ago. Abraham, it says, believed the Lord and he counted it to him as what, beloved? as righteousness. A statement that deems this man to have been made right with God apart from any kind of work or any kind of sign. Now, to bring this into modern times, beloved, there are those in the church today who view baptism as a kind of means of salvation. There are some who believe the Lord's Supper as a kind of infused, meritorious grace that saves Many people trust in salvation from hell based upon this act of infant baptism or some adult baptism. Others, confirmation or involvement in communion or some kind of religious rite or ceremony or a combination of all of those. They think you have to do those things and believe and then you'll be saved. As though there's some kind of ascribed merit in doing these things. And people get hooked up on this, and that is their assurance. That's false assurance, friends. Those rituals are good. Circumcision under the old covenant was good. It was commanded by God. Baptism, the Lord's Supper, is good, is great, but they don't save anybody. Are you with me this morning, beloved? So Paul's words speak directly to the relationship that saving faith has to outward religious rituals, signs, and seals. So we want to concentrate on what Paul is telling us this morning in this text. Now, allowing Scripture to interpret Scripture, Paul has just used Psalm 32, which we looked at last time, verses 1 and 2, to illustrate for us the truth of Genesis 15, 6. Abraham was declared righteous 14 years before he was circumcised. And he cites David, who lived long after Abraham. 
So in verse 3, just kind of scan this quickly, Abraham's counted as righteous, quoting Genesis 15, 6. Verse 5, all who truly believe are also counted as righteous. Verses 6 and 7, David, he cited to further, further illustrate imputed righteousness. That means a righteousness that comes from outside of you and is placed upon you, placed upon your account, imputed to you. That's imputed righteousness. That's imputed forgiveness of sins. So, the Jews now, this is our first point, and we want to look at the who, when, what, and how of justification by faith. Okay? The Jews at this point might object that David's blessing, oh yes, it's a blessing, but it's only for the Jew. Because David, like Abraham, the father of the faith, okay, he's the true Jew, if you will, There were no Jews before Abraham. God made a people out of a man. We got that right, right? There were no Jews. He called Abraham and he made an ethnic people and he made a spiritual people for which if you have faith in Christ, it goes back to Abraham. Glory. Glory to God. You don't have to be an ethnic Jew to be saved. To be a true Jew, spiritually speaking, You have to be in Abraham, which means you have to believe like he believed. In Christ alone. But in verse 9, Paul is now back to Genesis 15, 6, speaking of the blessing of accredited righteousness. He says, is this blessing then only for the circumcised? That means the Jew. Or also for the uncircumcised? We say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. There he is. He cites it again. See how he uses Scripture to back up Scripture? So Paul is explaining to us again the freeness of justification. And he must prove that this is the only way God has ever made anyone right with himself. Old Testament, New Testament. And this is the humbling message to the world today, beloved. We are so prideful in and of ourselves to say that salvation is entirely a gift and you must receive it by faith. We stick our chest out and go, oh no, I play part in this. I'm a decent person. I'm a good person, la da 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 da, right? Wrong. There is none good, no, not one. So he anticipates the question does one have to be a Jew in order to be justified? Now, this is not a natural question that would come to our mind in our day, amen? There's no way we, would think, we wouldn't be thinking that we need to believe and adopt Judaism and then the sign of circumcision, at least if you're male. But that was a very practical question in the first century. Many were teaching that you could not receive the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ without obeying the ceremonial law of being circumcised. Just look, for instance, quickly. Or actually, I think I have it up here for you. Acts 15.1. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the covenant, the custom of Moses, you cannot be what? Saved. You cannot be saved. In Galatians, Paul deals with the same thing, a group known as the Judaizers. We're saying everyone has to do this sign. 
Adhere to this rite, R-I-T-E, in order to be saved. You need this ritual to be saved. But the providential hand of God has always saved people, Jew or Gentile, circumcised, uncircumcised, throughout time, only through faith in Christ, deeming them as sons of Abraham. And all true believers share in this spiritual lineage, beloved, regardless of ethnicity. But isn't it amazing that the Jews don't recognize this? They're trusting here in their Jewishness. In the ethnic line. Thinking that they were linked to Abraham by way of mere, a mere ritual of the flesh. Circumcision. Failing to realize the spiritual aspect of Abraham's life that they really needed to be connected to. That he believed. That he was graced to believe in the one who would come. So that is, they needed to believe like Abraham, but they missed it all. Why? Because the rite of circumcision blinded them to the reality of the substance. They were blinded by the ritual. People today are blinded by the ritual. Ritual of the flesh blinded them to the spiritual nature of Abraham. Okay, who are the recipients of justification by faith? We see it. Jew or Gentile, doesn't matter so long as they believe like Abraham believed. Next, verse 10. When then was Abraham, or anyone for that matter, justified by faith? Look at verse 10. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised. It was not after, but before he was circumcised, Paul declares. In other words, Paul is saying the very timing of Abraham's justification is very important, and it teaches us a great divine truth to this day. That is, imputed righteousness always comes first. It's a grace gift. You have no control when it happens. When you were saved... You say, well, I had faith to believe. That's right. But you were given the faith to what? To believe. So Galatians 2, no one really can boast. It's all a gift. Circumcision merely confirmed a status that was already granted to Abraham according to the grace of God. When you become a believer... The moment you become a true believer and trust yourself completely and fully to Jesus Christ by faith, that is the moment that you are declared free from all blame. You understand something of the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ, therefore you go get baptized. Paul wants you to remember that Abraham was imputed righteousness. He was accounted, credited as righteous at least 14 years before he was ever circumcised. This is the wonder of God's providence in all of this. And you know why that is? Because here, Abraham could relate to all men who believe, be they Jew or Gentile, from throughout time. Right? As a matter of fact, this blessing of forgiveness and this blessing of righteousness were granted to Abraham when he was an uncircumcised Gentile with an idolatrous background. And we looked at it a couple weeks ago. God called him out of his place and called him out of his practice and transformed the man. 
That's what God does. He comes to us wretched, rotten sinners. In the midst of our practices, in the midst of our place, He calls us out, He changes us. And then your life changes. You don't go clean yourself up and then come to Jesus. He comes to you, transforms you, grants you the understanding that you've been given imputed righteousness, and He changes you over time, conforming you to His image. It's not the other way around. Circumcision had nothing to do with it. Abraham was made right inside the covenant long before he was circumcised. 14 years, baby. Okay, he had a son, Isaac, as promised by God. But when his wife, Sarah, was, you know, became impatient for the heir, what did she convince her husband of doing? Lying down with her handmaid in Hagar, giving birth to a son by the name of Ishmael. Ishmael received the outward sign of circumcision, but he was never in the covenant. Amen? The Bible says so. So circumcision, in and of itself, is not even a concern in terms of covenant relationship or in terms of imputed righteousness, Old Testament. And we can deduce from that and say that there's no religious rite, there's no religious ceremony that bestows any righteousness on anybody at any time. You see where we're going? It's faith in Christ alone. According to grace alone. Any change, any adherence to ceremony is a product of that reality. We should all be smiling about that. It is only the grace of God through the instrument of faith which receives this glorious gift known as salvation. Okay, so we see who the recipients of justification by faith are. When was Abraham justified by faith? Before he received the sign. Thirdly, what testifies to justification by faith? Verse 11. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. Paul tells us three things here about the ceremony of justification under the Old Covenant. He tells us, number one, that it's a sign. Secondly, it's a seal. And he tells us that it puts on display, that is, testifies of the gift of imputed righteousness. The righteousness that God grants the sinner by grace. So he says it's a sign. In other words, beloved, it's symbolic. God ordained this as a symbol. So let's talk about signs for a minute. Because if you drive our freeways, they're loaded with what? Signs. Streets loaded with signs. 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 Everywhere are signs. (laughs) Blocking out the scenery. Breaking my mind. Every culture has signs. They serve as a marker, beloved. What do they provide on the freeway? Direction and distance. That's what they provide. They serve as a marker that points you and directs you to something superior to the sign than, than the sign itself. If we're going to head down Balboa, say we're going to go to the beach. And you tell me how to get there. You say, go down to Convoy, hang a left on Balboa, just head west, boy, until you get to the beach. 
And by the time I get down to Grand or Garnett, there's going to be a sign that says beaches. Okay? And say, say I come to the sign, and I lay out the blanket, and I'm waiting for you, and you drive by me and go, what an idiot. <laughs> Have I arrived at the beach? No, that's the sign that points you to the beach. The sign points you there. It does not create the reality. Circumcision was a sign of God's imputed righteousness by faith. Pointing to a faith he already had. It had already been birthed into him by the grace of God, by the Holy Spirit. It's not a faith that will be birthed. It was birthed at a particular time. Fourteen years later, he received an outward sign of an inward spiritual reality. A sign also implies ownership. Signs direct us. They guide us. But they also imply ownership. God placed a sign on Abraham to show that this is my possession. I own this lad. See, God didn't merely cut the flesh off of this man. He cut this man out from among the world. He said, he's mine. He's cut you out from among the world, the lost, the blind. And he says, you're mine. I own you. I purchased you. That's why he says, I'm the shepherd. You're the sheep. No one will snatch you out of my hand because I own you. Justified by grace through faith in Christ alone. Signs are placed over restaurants. They reveal ownership. It's Joe's Burgers or Jose's Tacos, whatever. Jose owns the store and he serves tacos. Right? You'd be lame to attach yourself to the sign waiting for lunch. This is the sign. This is the restaurant. So a sign by itself is useless if you stop and rest at the sign or if you trust in the sign. God gave Abraham a sign. It was circumcision that points to something far greater than itself. And that's what signs do. It's, it pointed to all the promises that God made to Abraham about his name, his descendants, a land, that he would be a blessing to many nations. That is God's sovereign grace, trusting the promises of God to which the signs point. Now later, beloved, as you know, you know your Bible, it, it also conveys the need for a circumcised heart. Because what did the Jews boast in? The sign. We have the sign of the circumcision. That's where their boasting was. God speaks through Jeremiah. He said this. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will punish all those who are circumcised merely in the flesh. Egypt, Judah, Edom, the sons of Amnon, Moab, and all who dwell in the desert, who cut the corners of the hair, for all these nations are uncircumcised and all the house of Israel is uncircumcised in heart. So mere outward rites and ceremonies are not God's concern, but the condition of the heart is what's paramount. And when someone is born again, they come to faith like Abraham or David or like many, I hope all who are here, circumcised the heart he does a work a real work a true work a work that is salvific 
It's eternal. He changes your thinking, your motives, your desires. Oh, yeah, you still struggle. We'll, we'll deal with that when we get to Romans 7. The civil war of the heart, baby, right there, right? That's a different story. We're talking about position here, not practice, position. And position and rightly knowing your position certainly changes your practice. It's not the other way around. You don't change your practice in order to gain a place of positional righteousness. That's trying to gain God's favor. He grants you the favor, the ability to believe. You embrace Christ. He changes you. And he keeps on changing you. Changing you. And he chastens those he loves. Right? Secondly, Paul says it's also a seal. Meaning it's a kind of confirmation. It's a mark. It's a stamp. Every culture has seals. Not Navy seals, but... We have the Navy SEALs. <laughs> we want something presented as being true or valid, we might go to a notary. Verifying the signature to be valid. My wife and I just updated our family trust a couple weeks ago. And we have, okay, if her and I die tomorrow in a car wreck or whatever, the church gets 10% of our assets, our kids get the rest. And because our kids are still young in their 20s, we have a couple friends of ours who will oversee distributing the goods so long as they're responsible to receive the goods. Well, I needed a notary to validate what we wrote out. Verifying what you're reading is true. Cody and Lacey, what you're reading is true. If mom and dad are gone, you only get this. If blah, 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 and you will seek so-and-so. Validated, authenticated, signed, sealed, stamped. Stamped into my passport. Into my passport photo is a seal of the beautiful United States of America. If you don't like it, by the way, move somewhere else. Travel a little bit and see how blessed you are to live here. Oh, it's not perfect because it's run by sinners just like you and me. Right? Rejoice in what you have. But stamped in that passport photo is the seal of the beautiful United States of America affirming that I am indeed a U.S. citizen and I can travel abroad. Scripture says Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. Paul is telling us here that the sign God gave many years later was the seal from God to validate the reality of what God did in the man. Amen? Testifying to the righteousness of God imputed to him, placed upon his account... God, therefore, the ultimate notary, if you will, places his seal of authenticity upon the one deemed righteous. That's all that signs do. Okay? Neither the sign nor the seal is righteousness. And that's where the Jews got mixed up. The sign and seal represented the reality that God's righteousness covers this man. It's the only reason he's righteous. It was a physical seal that represented a a greater truth and a greater reality. So Paul says imputed righteousness came first. 
circumcision confirmed that is sealed a status already granted by God according to his grace. Now, under the new covenant, we have the Lord's Supper and baptism. Amen? Signs that are not to be trusted for salvation, yet so many people trust in the Lord's Supper or baptism to save them. It doesn't save. Those are signs that point to a greater reality. They point in the right direction, but they don't save you. We merely participate in what the sign represents. Signs to be enjoyed, amen? Cherished? Indeed, yes. Always by God's people because they represent ownership. You are not your own. You were bought at a great price. So signs and seals, I hope it's clear, are not to be used as a means of salvation because signs and seals don't save. As much of a blessing as they are, they don't save. So to do this is to miss their meaning, and tragically, many are trusting in these signs, having missed their substance, that is, justification by grace through faith alone in Christ alone. And such was the case with numerous Jews in Paul's day, holding the sign, missing the substance. So, signs and seals don't bring about the reality of justification by faith. They merely confirm it. And that assures us, you see. So, God provides like baptism in the Lord's Lord's Supper as a kind of assurance that takes us back or points us to the substance. Christ crucified. Dead, buried, raised, ascended, ruling, reigning, Purchased, possession, you, by grace, through faith. So Paul, at this point, has made clear that Abraham's true seed were those who exercised faith as he did. How? It's our last point. How does justification by faith make Abraham the spiritual father of all who believe? Verses 11 and 12. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised, so that righteousness would be counted to them as well, and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in his footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Once again, as a matter of speaking, Abraham was justified while he himself was a Gentile, if you will. called out of the land of Ur, called out of a people that were idol worshipers. He's an idol worshiper. He comes from a people that were idol worshipers. God called him out, called him to himself, and sent him away for his glorious purposes, making him the spiritual father of two groups of people, those who truly believe who were not circumcised, yet justified by grace alone. And think about how encouraging that would have been to first century Gentiles. I mean, you've got, you got to kind of place yourself in the page. And that's what we try to do when we teach the Bible. Take you back to the page. Take you back to the time. Wow, a Gentile? How those Jews would have looked down at me as a second-class citizen. And Paul, by the authority of Almighty God, says, the mark means nothing in and of itself. Abraham was justified, and he was not yet circumcised. Rest in that. 
And he can also turn to the Jewish people in the congregation, in the church in Rome, and say, Abraham is your spiritual father also. Because you followed in his footsteps. This is a term that means to follow in single order, follow in single file. He believes in God and his promises. You believe in God and his promises. He believed in the coming Messiah. You believed and trusted in the Messiah. You, like him, manifest faith that is real and a righteousness that has been granted to you according to the grace of God. You've walked in his footsteps. He's your spiritual father, too. He's spiritual father to all you all who believe by faith alone. See how encouraging this would have been? Well, what church do you go to? Such and such church. Oh. Mm, I don't know if you're really saved. Come on. Are you serious? Are you serious? That's the argument today. It's faith alone in Christ alone according to the grace of God alone. Right? They believed in the God of promise. We believe in the God of promise. Abraham believed in the God of promise. David believed in God, the God of promise. So the true link to Abraham is not physical. It's spiritual. It's not ethnic. It's amazing today how many Christians put so much important emphasis on the physical link to Abraham. So they'll look at a, a Jewish group of people, like the dear people next door in this Jewish school. I saw them all getting on a bus to go on a field trip or something this morning. And they'll say, oh, those are God's people. No, they're not. No, they're not. Paul would never have said such a thing. And Jesus certainly never said such a thing. As a matter of fact, Jesus took the most religious ethnic Jews of the day and said, you're not of your father Abraham. He's not even your father. I'll tell you who your father is. Your father's the devil. Because you don't believe in me. That's anti-Semitic. No, it's not. I love everybody the same. Red, yellow, black, and white. They're all precious in my sight. But they're also sinners in God's sight. And they can only be made precious by the shed blood of Jesus Christ alone. That's it. The true people of God, the true Israel of God, circumcised or uncircumcised, are those who are justified by faith in Christ alone. That's the true Israel of God. So signs and seals are are of great worth. But never do we find in Scripture that these signs and seals are given in order to save anybody. This is what we want to get in our head today. This is what we want to leave with today. Now, Paul isn't only speaking to the first century church of Rome here, beloved. How often have you talked to a person who has no evidence of being a Christian? No interest in the things of God. No love of God. They don't love His Word. They don't obey His Word. They don't desire to obey His Word. And they certainly don't love the people of God. Well, you don't have to be a Christian to go to church. Well, that's true, but why wouldn't you go to church if you're a Christian? Because the Bible says, do not forsake yourselves, the gathering of one another. Amen? So you, you, you pin this person down. They have no indication of the fruit of the Spirit. And when you bring up spiritual things, what do you hear? You hear things like this. Oh, well, yeah, I, you know, I walked the aisle in 1987. Or um, I said a prayer at a Billy Graham crusade in 19-whatever. 
Okay, that's kind of the evangelical side. The more reformed side, you'll hear, well, I was baptized in an infant in the Orthodox Presbyterian Church in such and such a town, such and such a day. Member. First Lutheran Church of such and such. Whatever the case, notice their defense is always past tense and points to something. Some act, some sign, some ritual. This thing happened, yeah, 35 years ago. Nothing's happened since. But, you know, I'm sure nonetheless because I was baptized in such and such a church. <laughs> Wrong. I passed catechism. I was confirmed. You know, I passed catechism. I was confirmed. I was baptized in the Lutheran church and then became a member of the Orthodox Presbyterian church. And I wasn't saved until I was in my 20s. Justified by grace through faith alone in Christ. Born again of the Spirit. That's when I was saved. Because of the work of God the Holy Spirit. Not because of that stuff. That glorious stuff, it's beautiful, but points to something greater than itself. The sign don't save. Got a lot I could say. But I won't. The mere possession of a covenant sign, whether it's circumcision, Old Testament, baptism, Lord's Supper, means nothing apart from the real, true grace and God's consequential righteousness granted to the sinner by faith, by grace through faith. That's it. Now, most Protestants, no doubt, believe that covenant signs are not necessary for salvation, but some do. There are many churches that teach if you're not baptized, you're going to hell. There are. The thief on the cross would be in big trouble. Especially since Jesus said, most assuredly I say to you, this day you will be in paradise. There are some places where a child is born in the hospital, ailing, is going to die. And they'll rush in a priest to perform a baptism for fear that child will be ushered into hell. What a pathetic way to live. What a fearful way to live. Paul is making sure, beloved, that we know that the outward sign only describes an inward transformation, an inward reality. Circumcision in the Old Testament was a visible act that it pointed to an invisible reality that goes on in here. a visible reminder of a greater circumcision, that is circumcision of the heart. The heart. And ownership of Almighty God. So having the inward reality, beloved, in absence, don't miss this, having the inward reality in absence of the outward sign is as if you had the outward sign, whereas the mere outward sign in absence of the inward reality is as if you've never received the sign. You get it? Good. We must, okay, on the other hand, we must never reject, we must never neglect, we, may, we must never make little of the sign. And in our day, that's the Lord's Supper and baptism. Circumcision, that's of the old covenant. Because we rejoice in what the signs represent, amen? 
Therefore, we obey. And we participate in baptism in the Lord's Supper as already redeemed sons of God in Christ. But there are some circumstances where it's not possible that the sign be applied. Let's say someone comes to faith in Christ and they're not in a place where they can even make it to a church. Does that mean they're not going to go to heaven? Of course not. The true reality has happened in here. So the inward reality makes it as if the person has received the outward sign. That's one thing that Paul has been reiterating since chapter 2, you remember? Look there, uh, verse 25. I don't know what time I started this morning, but I'm about ready to wrap it up. I don't, I don't even know if I'm speaking an hour. I don't know if I've been speaking a half hour. How long has it been? I don't know. But hold on, baby. Verse 25. Chapter 2. Circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law, Paul writes. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who's uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as what? As circumcision. That was earlier in Paul's diatribe, earlier in his argument. When we come to the Lord's table, does it save us? Does coming to the table save you? No. We're called to proclaim the Lord's death until he comes, demonstrating our need for salvation, that he's the only way to be saved. Christ crucified. The bread and the cup symbolize God's redemptive work through his son. That's what it symbolizes. And if you think that taking the cup and taking the bread is saving you, or that you're being saved as you partake, then you've done exactly what the Jews did with circumcision in the first century. As a matter of fact, the Bible says if one receives the Lord's Supper without true saving faith, they actually eat and drink judgment upon themselves. 1 Corinthians 11. So if someone comes into a sitting like this, they don't believe Jesus is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. They believe that there's many ways and Jesus might be one of those ways and they partake of the Lord's Supper, which declares that He's the only way. They drink damnation unto their own soul. If that's you, repent today. Be convinced by the truth that He is the way, the truth, and the life. You will not come before the Father via any other way. Is this the only way to receive imputed righteousness? Him and Him alone. The only way to be forgiven. Past, present, and future sins. Your sins forgotten as far as the east is from the west? He's the only way. That's what the Lord's table represents. Baptism. Does it save? No. When you put a person down into the water, we believe in Duncan. And they come out of the water. What does it demonstrate? It demonstrates union with the death and burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. As one has already been justified by faith. It's an outward demonstration of an inward reality of the grace of God received by faith. So if you treat baptism as salvific, as, as though the sign, it, the sign itself saves, you've done, once again, exactly what the Jews in the first century were doing with circumcision. It doesn't save. Baptism, 
testifies of our union with Christ, His death, resurrection, and our communion proclaims our participation in His death on our behalf, both of which are signs of the ultimate reality. They don't save. They're a sign and a seal to those that are saved. So you see, beloved, the question is not, did you once upon a time profess Jesus? Did you at one time do this act? Did you follow this ritual? Did you take part in that ceremony? Did you receive this sign? The question is, do you now trust in Christ and in Him and His work alone? That's the question. Because those that do, the Bible says, are justified, declared free from all blame, forgiven and made right in the sight of God. And that's an important lesson for all who live this side of the cross. Because if we're not believers here this morning, if, if, if we're people who profess to, believe, to be believers, but we do not trust in Christ alone, we trust in Christ plus something else, actually detracts and takes away from Christ. It's not Christ plus baptism. It's not Christ plus the supper. It's Christ alone. Adding anything takes away from the glorious Savior. And if we're believers here this morning, we need to be, we need to be reminded of this truth. Let's say it together. Over and over and over and over and over again. Justification by faith alone. So the ground of your assurance this morning is in what God has done for us through Christ alone. Everything else, signs, seals, whatever, ceremonies, all flow out of that reality, all point to that reality, as well as your obedience. Obedience is not to earn salvation. It's a product of the grace that has been granted. So, beloved, the blessing of Abraham is ours today. The blessing of King David is ours today who trust in Christ as they did. By faith alone. Which is a gift. So the words of Paul are incredibly practical 2,000 years later. Amen? And may they penetrate our hearts increasing within us a deeper, richer faith, a greater trust in His work alone. That is your assurance. That's your assurance. Amen? Let's pray. Holy Father, we do thank you for the grace gift that was granted to all who will ever be saved. That is justification by faith alone in Christ alone. From the time of Abraham to the time of David, going all the way back to the Garden of Eden, in redeeming the first man and woman, Adam and Eve, that they'll only be in heaven because of the finished work of your Son, which was promised them in Genesis 3, fulfilled in your Son, granted to us 2,000 years the other side of the cross. We all rejoice together in the grace granted us. Lord, and if there's anyone here this day who does not know what it is to trust in Christ alone, I pray that by your Spirit, you'll open up their eyes to see, their ears to hear, to understand. If there's any believers here who are struggling and who continue to struggle with assurance, I pray that you'd reinforce their faith 
that they would see signs and symbols is that which points to the great substance, and that is your Son, our Savior, in all that He has accomplished. Pray this for your glory and their good, my good and all believers' good. In Jesus' name, amen.